Are you in need of a pace clock? Looking to finally upgrade those ancient analog clocks? The Swim Nerd Pace Clock is the most innovative digital pace clock. It connects to your Swim Nerd mobile app, allowing you to program any set your heart desires. Except for 100 100s while listening to Nickelback. You can't program that. That that is not allowed. If you haven't seen the Swim Nerd Pace Clock yet, go to swimpractice.com to check it out. Okay, Rich Williams, welcome to the podcast, my friend. How are you? I'm doing well, Brett. Thank you for having me. It's an honor. I appreciate you being here. Now, listen, you were the class of 98 uh, at William & Mary, and you're now the head coach of the Club Tribe Masters swim team. And from what I understand, you've been put in charge of uh, part of speaking for the William & Mary uh, organization in terms of trying to get the swim team reinstated or at least an understanding of why the program was cut and some answers. Uh, I, I understand there are a lot of people associated with the program that are clearly very upset for many different reasons. And I want to be able to give you guys a voice to express some of those um, grievances today, but also, you know, from my part for the wider swimming community, you know, I care about college swimming just as much as you do. And we're passionate about um, the impact that it can have on the greater community of swimmers. Um, you know, as somebody that swam in college and somebody who was a head coach at a division one school, um, I, I, I'm a huge advocate for college swimming and to see programs of any kind being cut, I think is a travesty to our sport. And so, Thank you for being with us today. It's, it's a pleasure. Um, I'm honored to be here, not only with you, but just to be speaking for thousands of alumni uh, that uh, have come together and have been working very, very hard to try to fight these cuts. Um, this, this particular cut of the Wayne Mary Swim Program seems to be slightly different in terms of comparison to other cuts across the country. And that's a big part of why we're fighting it so vehemently. Um, it's, we think that we can bring the, the program back and we're really upset with how it happened in general. Yeah. Well, you know, you and I have had some preliminary discussions and from what it sounds like you have legitimate, um, you know, concerns of, of why you think that way. Uh, look, to be honest, there's always two sides to the story, but sure. from me, from my perspective, um, I don't want any programs to disappear. And so I'm going to, if I have a platform of any kind, I told you, if, if there are five people listening to this, then that's, that's five people that I've been able to affect in order to get your message out because I don't want swim programs around the U S to go away. My, uh, my dream as, as an Australian growing up in a, in a foreign country was to one day come to America and have this um, a, amazing opportunity and, and I know that as, as an American kid growing up in this country, you know, to have a storied program like William and Mary all of a sudden be taken off the map. Um, again, like I said, it's a travesty to me. So we need to figure out how we can bring this program back. And I want to be able to give you this platform. So kind of just talk us through, you know, step by step what's going on here. Sure. Um, okay. So the, the program was announced that it was cut along with um, five other sports at William & Mary on the Friday before Labor Day. So seven total sports in you know, men's and women's swimming. Um, now the backdrop to that is that the students had been there for two weeks already. They needed to come in quarantine before classes started. 
um, all of the freshmen, everybody signed their NCAA um, paperwork in terms of commitment. So they were there, all the tuition bills were paid. The students are stuck in terms of this decision based upon the timing. Um, so that's a big part of what's upset to me, what's upset a lot of students and parents is that it was announced the Friday before Labor Day classes start you know, the following Tuesday. It was presented um, in a six minute Zoom call to all seven teams at once. Hand read you know, speech with absolutely no questions afterwards, somewhat emotionless is what I've been told. I wasn't obviously on the call. Then um, she hung up and then the students were just kind of left to, to sit there and figure out what just happened. No real explanation of the process or any kind of specifics at all. Um, and you know, it, it's, it's just been, it's been real tough since then. The, the communication to the, uh, to the public came that same day in the form of an open letter, you know, saying that they were very upset and it seemed, it didn't really land as genuine in terms of them being upset. Um, and it turned out later that the letter that they published was largely plagiarized from, from Stanford University who cut uh, 11 programs earlier in the summer. And that aspect of it has absolutely infuriated the campus of William & Mary, their alumni, people involved in sports, people not involved in sports, the faculty. So we've drawn a lot of attention for various reasons, largely related to the way it was rolled out before we even get into the specifics of the reasons why. Yeah, um, man. Um, there's a lot to unravel there. <laughs> yeah. <It's, laughs> um, which direction would you like me to go? You have any? Well, let me start by saying this. You know, um, I've heard a different side to one of the points you, you brought up, and and one of them might be just in re reference to the timing of it, or how it was addressed mm -hmm. to you guys, or how it was presented to you. You know, so somebody had told me within an inner circle that. Um, there's legal reasons why they did what they did. So, you know, instead of saying, Hey, we're going to give you three years to, to raise the money to keep this program. There's legal reasons why they come in and say, Hey, the program's being cut without kind of any warning. Do you, um, do you agree to that? Or do you understand any of that? I don't know. I don't know of any legal reasons why you would do that. I mean, the, unfortunately we're not the only program to be cut. We're not the only sport to be cut this summer. Um, some programs definitely had financial crises and, but they made their announcements much, much earlier in the summer. Um, at William and Mary, they made them the day before Labor Day. Um, I don't think there was any legal ramification in terms of that. Um, it's, I, I've not heard that. So why, why do you think they wouldn't give you warning? Why do you think they wouldn't come to a program like yours and say, listen, two years from now, if you guys can't, fully fund yourself or if you're not self-sufficient or if you haven't raised a certain amount of money, why can't you, you know, you're going to get cut. Why wouldn't they say that? Well, it really, it's an excellent question and we would have really appreciated it because we would have acted very, very quickly. Just to give you some evidence of that, since the cut, we've already raised $1.1 million in an effort to self-fund ourselves. And that's addition, in addition to the $3 million endowment that we already have and run off of. And also in addition to yearly uh, contributions that are around 160 to $200,000 a year. So it's a, the alumni base is very loyal and contributes regularly. And so if we had been given the opportunity two years ago 
to make our case and to, and to fund, we would have absolutely responded to it. And so now we're trying to have to do it quickly to get them to reverse the decision. It's much easier if you do it ahead of time. What we've uncovered is that it appears that the real reason behind these cuts is, is largely due to financial mismanagement of the program, of the whole athletic department. So the athletic director, Samantha Huji, um, was hired in 2017. Since her arrival, um, she's really focused on the big three sports for us, men's, bas or men's basketball, women's basketball, and football. Operating losses in those three years have gone down, have increased by 80%. Um, operating losses just for the men's basketball program have increased by 268%. Men's football now cost $1.7 million every year. Um, and so to kind of finance this, they've raised student fees by almost a million dollars, again, just since 2017, so not long at all. Um, and they've added $3.7 million in debt to an athletic department that is pretty small. That's, an, that's a very large sum of money to add to the athletic department debt in a very short period of time because of mismanagement of the three big sports. Revenue generation is way down. Ticket sales are down. Um, annual giving for those sports is down. And so they're in a financial crisis that has nothing to do with COVID. It has to do with the management of the last three years. And part of what the attraction of a sport like swimming and also men's track was cut is that we have significant endowments to help fund our program that once we're gone, they appear to be making moves so that they can use our endowments to help fund um, other things within the athletic department. They've, they've said repeatedly that they're not going to move it into other sports endowments, but that's a very, very specific thing that they're saying and giving no further detail beyond that. What the likely endpoint for those endowments is going to be is that large portions of it will end up in the general reserve fund. Um, some of the people who gave in the endowment may have protected themselves legally beforehand and they may get a portion of it back, but many, many of the donors um, aren't even with us anymore. The, the, the first endowment started in 1990. So there's, there's a big, that's a big part of the attraction of cutting swimming and, and track. Um, it's called the, the doctrine of Cypre. Mm. with regards to endowments. And I'm not a lawyer, so I apologize if I just butchered the pronunciation. <laughs> but as I understand it, Doctrine of Cypre is that when an endowment can no longer, you know, it's no longer practical to use an endowment for what it was specifically geared, toward, geared towards, you have to do the next closest thing. And so in their mind, they can use this doctrine to take it out of swimming and just put it into athletics in general and the general reserve. Fund. I was going to say that. So with an endowment, um, from, from what you're saying, uh, you know, when you give a specific endowment, you could actually set up a formal agreement of some sort to say, this, if, if this isn't being used for swimming, I want the money back. I mean, you know, again, that's a, it's a large legal question, um, and there may be some litigation down the road with regards to some of this. I know that the track team specifically um, is very interested in pursuing that type of um, that type of angle towards mm -hmm. fighting this, and and we have lawyers as well working on it. Um, I mean, to be clear, from what I'm saying to you, um, 
I don't, I'm not a lawyer and I obviously am not an expert on endowment law. And so I'm not saying that they are necessarily committing a crime. Mm -hmm. They might find a way to do this without breaking a law, mm -hmm. but for the people who donate to the program regularly for, to the people who, um, who own these endowments and just the swimming community in general, it feels like they're stealing from us. Sure. We're, we're talking about uh, you know, not necessarily a, a legal barrier that we're crossing. It's more of an ethical issue. Mm -hmm. um, ethically speaking, cutting swimming to take the endowment so that you can finance the losses of the last three years doesn't sit well with people. So what, what were the formal reasons that they actually gave to say, this, this is why we're cutting the program? They didn't give specific reasons to swimming. They, there were some very vague uh, references to what, what the criteria was, and it was largely based upon um, whether they can be, uh, whether they believe that the, that the team could be competitive in the future um, and to cost. And so that's a big part of why we're so confused with this. And I'll just kind of take you through the quick numbers for our team specifically. So to run both programs combined costs about $510,000 a year. That's according to the athletic department's um, estimate. Our coaches say forced to, we could, we could definitely operate leaner than that, but we'll just say $510,000 since that's their number. Well, we take, about 120000 a year already out of the endowment. That's the draw from the endowment. If you just factor in $160,000 a year for annual giving, which is a very conservative estimate. Last year it was two hundred and twenty, is what we gave. Um, but if you factor in one sixty, you're already at 280000 And then the NCAA grants distributions to colleges that have more than 14 teams every year that are about you know, in the neighborhood of $35,000, give or take. So if you factor in that $70,000, since we're two teams, you're down to rough operating expenses to the college of $160,000 a year, mm -hmm. um, which is peanuts. We, you know, the pool is run by the rec center. It's, it, we don't have a, a dedicated pool that's owned by the athletic department. So, um, so there's no cost to the athletic department for that. And, uh, you know, our coaching staff works with both programs. They travel together. So it's just a minimal cost program in general. Um, and so the cost, the cost argument makes absolutely no sense. Um, and then if you look at just other aspects of what the team adds to the community, um, the team in general, is, they're brilliant. <laughs> These kids are incredible. Um, over the decades, the swim team has won 62 Scholar All-American Team Awards. So it's what you have to have a you know based upon combined GPA. So it's it's a long history of being smart, but this particular group is is even smarter. Uh, they won 20 Provost Awards last year, just last year alone, which is means they have a 3.5 GPA or higher. We got people that are you know uh, Dean's List, Phi Beta Kappa. Uh, Rhodes Scholars, you name it. It's just a long history of, of really great academic success. Um, and then they're great citizens within the community. Um, they have raised $500,000 for uh, cancer research over the years. They do volunteer time with Kiwanis Club, they volunteer time at elementary schools, Special Olympics, other camps, you name it. They're just incredible kids. And, and so when you remove that part from the campus as well, 
it's a huge loss to the campus. The campus suffers because you're taking some of the smartest kids, the best athletes competitively, um, and, and you, you're replacing it with nothing. Um, I mean, they've won six, the eight CAA championships within the last six years combined. So they're the, by far the most competitive team on campus. No one else is wow. even close. Wow. Um, yeah, we, we had a, a men's relay last year that ended up 17th in the country. Beat, uh, if it's the 200 free relay, it beat Stanford, Duke, UVA, Wisconsin, Michigan State. Uh, it'd be a lot of people. That's just a few. So it's, it's, a, it's the only nationally relevant team that they currently have on campus. Yet, in pursuit of national relevance, which is what the reasons we were given, they were cut, which doesn't make any sense at all. Wow, pretty incredible. Um, you know, it's certainly a team that I knew very well and I'd heard of even before I came to America. So a very famous yeah. team, a very famous uh, program yeah. in the sense that it's, it's world-renowned is what I'm trying to say. Um, so it's, it's certainly not, not a team that you would hear of and say, oh, no, never heard of them before. You know, this is a world-renowned team. So um, pr- pretty crazy that it's being treated in this way. Um, you know, just in the last couple of days, I've seen headlines in regards to uh, two major things, kind of the plagiarism side of things, and then also mm-hmm. the, the Title IX violations. So let's just touch on those real quick. You know, sure. as the head coach of a college team for, for many years, I know that if an athlete sat down in an English class and cut and paste a single line from, from uh, Google and put that into their English paper – you know, they were going up against uh, a board and, and their, uh, their college careers were on the line, you know, just by, right. just by cutting and pasting a single line from, from somebody else, you know. To, I've, I've had a look at this um, statement that was put out by the athletic department and by the athletic director and, and it was just, you know, line after line after sentence and, and – um, it was just incredible how much of that was actually plagiarized word for word from the Stanford release. I mean, it's really incredible, isn't it? So as a, as a William Mary alumni, uh, it's incredibly embarrassing. I actually went there twice. I have a master's degree there as well. So Mm. it's incredibly embarrassing. The faculty couldn't be angrier. Uh, As a community, we take the honor code incredibly seriously and explain to me that real quick what's the honor code well we take a pledge well it's it's in full prose is very long but in pledge it's essentially to not lie cheat or steal um within the community and, and it's just this very specific pledge that you have to take when you first come in i don't know it verbatim but and the ple- um, well, how do you give the pledge when you first arrive that's what you do it's so like it's almost like you hold your hand yeah, up and say exactly I not. Yeah, exactly, okay. exactly. Right. It's, it's a written pledge okay. um at least it was when I was there. Um, and so it, it's, uh, it's just been very, very upsetting uh, to the community for that reason. And that's helped to galvanize people outside of athletics. I mean, we've got professor, there was a board of visitors listening uh, session on Wednesday night to talk about this. And we had professors show up from the business department, from the English department, infuriated, so, you know, wanting there to be consequences because it wasn't just signed by the athletic department, Samantha Huji, the AD. It was also signed by the president of the school, mm. Catherine Rowe, mm. and the provost, Peggy Ajora. So you've got three of the most high, of the highest ranking people at the school plagiarized 
And it's incredibly embarrassing. Literally, if you Google William and Mary plagiarism right now, you've got dozens of articles to choose from that you can read about it. Mm -hmm. And that's just not a place that any of us ever saw being. But with regards to this, to these cuts, it's, there's also a deeper issue. Um, we were told and we're expected to believe that they did, you know, they engaged in a very, very careful process, evaluating, you know, our unique circumstances, going line by line, nothing's, no stone unturned to try to avoid these cuts. Yet when they deliver a work product that belongs to somebody else, it, it shows that they really didn't go through that kind of process. Stanford did. Stanford went through that process, but we didn't go through it. And just even from an empathy standpoint, when they say something that this is a tough day for William and Mary, but they're, they're, they're taking their empathy and they're taking their sadness from someone else, it really makes it difficult to believe that, that they're truly upset about it. I think a lot of people, for the plagiarism, it just kind of opens up the dialogue that this was something that they're not upset about at all. Yeah, it's it's something that they planned on for a long time that had nothing to do with with budget constraints, with COVID or anything else. Sure, very so, embarrassing. I, mean, I tell you what, I'll put it to you this way, Brett. Um, I think a normal person like you and I, if 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 you were given the keys to an athletic department that had 23 teams in it and you know go and grow the department and get better and at some point when you in that in your tenure you had to cut seven teams for whatever reason may be i think most people would regard that as just a colossal failure mm -hmm. you know i know i personally if, if i had to do that mm. it would just be it would be humiliating for me i failed these 118 athletes mm. i failed these 13 coaches um, I couldn't get the job done. I was, I was entrusted to grow this program and now I have to shrink it. Well, I, I also failed every person that ever swam for William and Mary and ever, every right. person that w ever dreamed of swimming for William and Mary. There's yeah. thousands of people that they failed. Um, yeah. generations that's, of people. And I think that that's how the typical person would look at this. And the, it just, the, the feeling that we get from this department is that they don't view it as a failure. They view this as a goal that they attained a couple years early because they had a great excuse with COVID. Yeah. And that's, that's as much as losing the teams hurts. I think a big part of it for everybody else is that this is, this was just all part of the plan to begin with because they can't stand the fact that this team is so successful without, without scholarships and without a dedicated facility. The, if you read the reports that uh, in, the, in the goals and the missions from the athletic department since Director Hughie's been there, so much of, of what she wants is fully funded programs and uh, facilities that are dedicated specifically to just one sport and for you know, world-class facilities, I said over and over again. And she's embarrassed by the fact that we swim in a rec center. You know, she's embarrassed by the fact that the track team has their track around the football stadium and they have to, you know, when after the football team plays on TV, there's a track around it. That embarrasses her. And that's at the heart of these cuts as much as anything else. It has nothing to do with the fact that we cost them $160,000 a year. That's about 0.6% of the athletic department's budget.
Well, listen, right now, the only thing she should be embarrassed about is the fact that she's been entrusted to be an athletic director and she's failed miserably. And uh, that's embarrassing. Uh, the way that she's destroyed this program is just uh, is criminal to me in the sense that um, all these people have been affected negatively, generations past and future. And, and the fact that we're taking away from a pro, from from a sport that we love, we're passionate about. Yeah. They have no passion for this, uh, or she has no passion at least for, for swimming. Um, we're very passionate about it and we know how much of a, a life changer it can be. And, um, and so we're going to fight and that's it. You know, it comes down to fighting and that's what we're doing. So, um, you, you know, it, your, your situation is unique, but in a sense it's not, you know, like it, it kind of goes to the greater cause the, you know, within the American system right now, whereas if programs are going to be cut, the easiest thing to do is look at the swimming and diving program for sheer because of the numbers and maybe because of right. the, the cost of running a, a swim team. Um, but, but then also just at the end of the day, the, the, there's no um, real passion from the athletic directors to say, I, I'm a swimmer. I love swimming. I want this to stay. So I think that there are, there are two things at play. The first is, is um, the hiring of consultants has become rampant within mid-major type programs, which 81% of uh, NCAA programs in the United States are what you would call a mid-major, kind of outside the Power Five conferences. Um, William Mary certainly falls into that. And at our school, we already paid the athletic director $255,000 a year. We pay the president $670,000 a year. And then on top of that, because coming in, apparently not having the skill set to evaluate the program on her own, um, she's hired an insane number of, of consultants for very expensive costs. This is, one group has been paid $140,000 already in installments of two to $4,000. Uh, there's another group called the Pictor Group, which was um, their results were published for the, for the entire Blue Mary community. They came at a very stiff cost as well. Um, and these consultants come out with very mundane, almost boring recommendations. Mm -hmm. The recommendation is the same every time. They, they give you a cookie cutter work product that plugs in a few numbers from your particular school, but then the answer is try to gain national relevance through football and basketball. Yeah. So, so that's one problem. Um, and the second problem is that if you're a mid-major, pursuit of those goals ends up being a fool's errand. 98% of mid-major football teams lose money. The, and the 2% that make money, they're not making money that Auburn makes. You know, they're, they're, they're barely scratching the surface. And they're certainly not funding the entire athletic department. So that's kind of a misconception that, that football and basketball are the revenue sports that make money and they provide it for everybody else. The reality is, is that generally speaking at the mid-major level, the football and the basketball teams are by far the biggest money losers. And teams like swimming, track, gymnastics, volleyball, you name it, um, they are minimal at cost, especially if they're a non-scholarship program. Um, but they're the ones getting cut, not some, somewhat for having a little bit of extra cash on hand, 
in this case, for having larger endowments that they can apply to, you know, to help with their debt. Um, but I think a lot of times it's also just so that the athletic department doesn't have to work as hard. It's easier to come, it's easier for Samantha Hoochie to come to work in an athletic department that has 16 teams um, with the same amount of money as opposed to an athletic department that has 23 teams that has, you know, with some of those teams having to get by on very little resources. Yeah. And so, those two things together have provided just a very toxic environment for mid-major programs everywhere. Um, well, tell me this. Um, l- let's just focus on this now. How do we get this program back? What are the things we need to do? How can we help? Well, you know, what are you guys doing? Well, let's get back. Let's get this program back. What do we do? Sure. Um, well, the first thing, go to savetribeswimming.com mm-hmm. um, and you can pledge money in it's at this point it's just a pledge but that gives us money or i'm sorry excuse me it gives us leverage so that when we do get to the uh the negotiating table with these guys which we are um we can talk about endowments and we can talk about funding at this point we've already raised enough money to fund the program for six years it's 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 gone up to six years at this point um and so that's one thing that people who are listening can do and we really appreciate it we're fighting the fight on all fronts. So we've got Title IX. We, we've uh, hired a Title IX uh, lawyer. Yeah. I'm going to make sure I get it. I'm going to pull this up real quick. Um, it's the um, law firm of Barley uh, – I'm sorry. Excuse me. Barley Glasser in Oakland, California. His name mm-hmm. is Arthur Bryant. Mm-hmm. Very successful. And he's going to be fighting the Title IX portion of this for us along with helping the women's gymnastics team and the women's volleyball team okay um a letter has been sent to the to president Rowe on uh last wednesday asking for a response by september 30th um and depending upon our their ability to come to the table and and talk with us um that will determine whether the lawsuit will go forward now just to give you a background in terms of title nine uh, William & Mary is, is without a doubt in, in violation of Title IX. He, after these cuts, um, there's still the, the female population of the student body as a whole is about 58%, and the population of the athletes is somewhere in the low 50s. I think it's like 53% or so. So uh, they are a total of 65 athletic opportunities short of being in compliance with Title IX just for uh, women's sports. And that's just talking about opportunities. If you look at money spent, a lot of money spent on our football program, um, and there really aren't comparable <laughs> dollars going anywhere else for the women's. So it's, it's, it, it's a pretty rock-solid rock case for us. And I will tell you that, and I've learned this just recently, no Title IX lawsuit that's ever made it to court has ever been decided in favor of the school. Every single time the school loses, because it's just simple math. It's not, uh, it, the, the law is very clear. There's not a lot of nuance to it. When the numbers are off, you're in violation. And so that's a big part of what we're doing. Um, we've also done a lot in terms of public relations with the community to let people know just how good this team is, how fast they are. Um, how, how much work they do in the community, how good of students they are. We've engaged help from the faculty. The faculty um, had a great speaker at that meeting I talked to you about uh, just a few minutes ago. Um, 
and they seem prepared to have a vote of no confidence, according to her, uh, for the athletic director. Um, we need to get them to start talking with us. Now, the, the highlight or the kind of the, the possible opening we have for us is that at this Board of Visitors meeting that occurred on Wednesday, the students gave wonderful and passion pleas. They are so smart, they're so articulate, it was just incredibly impressive, and faculty and, and alumni got to speak as well. And to me, it looked like many of the Board of Visitors members were hearing this information about the success of these teams, about the low cost of these teams, and the general change in direction of the school towards a, a school that, that seeks fame and, and internet clicks through, um, football and basketball national dreams as opposed to uh, a primarily academic oriented institution that they've always prided themselves on. Um, and so I think a lot of people uh, within the board are starting to realize that they're going to have to get involved in beyond just a, a advisory or um, you know, an advisory role to, to the staff. They're, I think uh, meetings are scheduled. With, they've already happened with track. They're happening with us next week. And we're hoping to get them involved and, and, and help us a little bit with regards to, to making this happen. I feel encouraged based upon um, a belief that the Board of Visitors can, can help us. Good. Well, listen, I'm thankful that you were able to come onto the program today. I'm thankful that I'm, I've got a little bit of a platform. We can just get the word out. Let's, uh, let's get behind this. Let's get invested in it. Let's get this program back up and running. I know the kids are on campus right now. They've got till the end of the year, you know, as part of the, the team, even though swimming's not going on right now, they're, they're still there and they're still, the team's alive. But, you know, we need to bring life back into this program. So I appreciate that. And I will just add to that with, when the Title IX um, lawsuit goes through, that will put a stop on at least the women's program for now. They can't take any action while that's in the court process. So the women's team can move forward, and uh, we're hoping that that will help both programs as we move forward. Well, good. Well, listen, Rich, appreciate your time. Thanks for this. We'll get the word out, and hopefully we'll get a little bit more momentum going your way, okay? Really appreciate the opportunity, Brad. Thank you very much. Take care, mate. Bye. Bye-bye.